For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Maureen in New Zealand, good morning to you all. Uh, welcome into uh, our show from 9 to 12 this morning in uh, association with Polaris, of course. They uh, have joined the team and we're so happy about that. Uh, Polaris is New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand and uh, we're so pleased, as I say, to be associated with them for this very busy show today, which includes uh, a talk uh, with Scott Styrish. We're going back in time as our final uh, Dilmar flashback package uh, comes to fruition. Um, it's been a long time uh, getting through them because uh, I've been away. My fault. I'll take the bad for that, Ian uh, Smith. Uh, Ian Stewart, after 9.30 this morning, uh, and he's uh, Yachting New Zealand's high-performance director. They are sailing big time overseas, and the Olympic cycle has begun in pretty rough conditions in Spain. So we'll uh, get in touch with uh, Ian Stewart this morning. Michelle Hooper. Now, Michelle Hooper is a name that uh, you probably know anyway, but you're going to hear a lot more of because Michelle is the tournament director for the Women's Rugby World Cup coming up. So just uh, on the uh, conclusion of the Women's Rugby uh, Cricket World Cup, where is, uh, where's rugby at? And uh, let's find out a lot more about that tournament now that the cricket one is out of the way. That's just after 10 o'clock uh, this morning. The panel will be Jamie Wall and Andrew Gordy. Uh, plenty to talk about there. Justin Morgan, the uh, Warriors assistant coach, will be with us just after 11 o'clock. Uh, good win the other day. Uh, how does it look uh, coming up uh, this weekend and, and going forward? 11.20, we'll go around the world with the headlines, uh, courtesy of producer Logan Swinkles. Uh, we'll have a stump smithy around about 11.30 as well. Uh, amongst many other things that come to pass in the next three hours. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. So when Tiger Woods tees it up, and it is confirmed at 10.23 Eastern Standard Time in America, alongside Louis Oosthuizen and Joachim Neiman, there will be scenes of joy unparalleled. Joy in the PGA, joy amongst the players, joy amongst the fans, ecstasy amongst the sponsors and the broadcasters. For when Tiger plays, the world of golf is a better place for any number of reasons. The picture is complete. Tiger aside, there are some phenomenal golfers in the world today across the board. Skill-wise, it is probably the best it's been. Globally, never stronger. Thomas, Johnson, Kepka, McElroy, Matsuyama to name but a handful. Superstars, super rich and super good, every one of them. But they just ain't Tiger. There was a sizable dark cloud over golf when the great man crashed his car back in February 2021, coming shortly after back surgery in December, just two months prior. Could he be gone for good? Hell, will he even keep his right leg? Will he walk again? Well, on March, the first PGA golfers around the world wore Tiger's signature Sunday red shirt as a message. He got it, he said. It moved him greatly, even way back then. One of his great motivations, aside from tournament play, has to be able to walk the freeways, uh, the fairways freely with his, his son Charlie. We've seen him playing tournaments together. Uh, he's done that this week in August in preparation. How times have changed. He's, he's changed them. He made Augusta, the Holy of Holies, the Green Jacket Brigade, make concessions year after year. It's most unlikely that Tiger will sit in the Butler cabin this year to receive his sixth Green Jacket. In fact, I'll go out on a limb here and say he just can't do it. 
He plays 72 holes, which means he walks 72 holes on the undulating Augusta. That will be staggering in itself, and he may well be doing just that, staggering, as he walks up the 72nd. For all sports fans, golf fans, that surely will be enough, though. But for Tiger, you know it won't be. He's there for another green jacket. Dilmar Flashbacks. Celebrating 30 years of tea in New Zealand. One hundred and twenty-eight needed at a required rate of exactly eight per over. This is the time where you launch, and that's a good way to start the launch. A wonderful shot. Styrus moves on to ninety, gets the single, and this is a very good hundred. First in one day internationals, and a well played Scotty Styrus. So that's another huge shot. It's a man under it. No, it's cleared the ropes by a good 10-15 yards. A lovely shot. Started suddenly. He's turning this on. What a wonderful shot. Well, that was Scott Styrus back in 2003 in the World Cup in South Africa. He scored 141 there off 125 balls uh, against Sri Lanka. And uh, that's what we've been celebrating at uh, 30 years of tea in New Zealand, courtesy of the, uh, that great supporter, Dilmar. Happened to be uh, Scotty Storis' first one-day international century. Scored four in all. Uh, the rate results uh, in that particular tournament uh, didn't favour New Zealand, but uh, clearly it was uh, an innings out of the box and one to be remembered. That's what we're doing this morning. Good morning to you, Scott Styrus. Uh, black cap number 221 and probably on the tee at Remuera very shortly, I'd imagine. Uh, not quite. Morning, Smithy. No, not quite, mate. I'm on the putting green because I've got the yips. So it's, uh, it's a troubled <laughs> time at the moment. Uh, troubled yeah. time indeed, mate. <laughs> hey, let's go back to... Can you, what do you remember about that innings in particular, actually? It was your first one-day international 100 uh, against um, a pretty talented Sri Lankan side. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how your memory fades with all of these things and you remember bizarre aspects to it rather than necessary specifics and we had New Zealand cricket at the time brought in or probably one of the worst decisions they made there was a South African coach coach in Canterbury at the time his name was Dave Nosworthy and because he knew the grounds uh, intimately in South Africa they brought him in for the scouting and so my memory of that particular game was that he had told us that spinners do nothing they don't take wickets their economy is poor so we went into that game without Daniel Vittori. We played five seamers. Um, and Sri Lanka played one seamer and five spinners. And it turned and spun. And we got those conditions completely wrong. So no surprise that we ended up losing that match. Um, but for me personally, yeah, obviously it was a great day. But we, we ended up losing. It was more from the uh, respect that I'd been playing as a batsman for Northern Districts, but I was just waiting for an opportunity to do the same for New Zealand. I came into that New Zealand side as a replacement for Gavin Larson and, and to do that similar role. So it was about three or four years before I could go back to the more natural role, which was a batsman who bowled a little bit. Uh, and this was my first opportunity. And, um, and, and sort of that was the start of it for me personally. 
what do you remember about the, the Sri Lankan attack? You say five, one, one and four or one and five back in those days in terms of seam and spin. What do you remember then in terms of playing spin back there uh, on, uh, well, it was 2003? Yeah, the game was very different then to what it is now. It's a power game these days. The way it was played in those days was, was the big accumulation phase between overs 15 and, say, 40 to 45 before you had some fun at the end. And so batting and the way that you practiced was all about reducing dot balls and, and putting the ball into gaps and taking your ones. And, and that's how you got your, your five runs and over or, or six if you were good enough. So we spent a lot of time working on that. And then when you had players like Murali uh, up against you, it was, of course, incredibly difficult. And he had destroyed us um, in the years leading up to that. So we did spend a lot of time on it. We didn't anticipate that spin was going to be quite the weapon on that pitch, having all that advice that I talked about. Um, but it was, uh, it was a part of my game that I, uh, was probably a strength, was rotating the strike through the middle and then, and then trying to have a go at the end. So it, it, you know, I guess it worked on a slowish pitch. There wasn't a lot of bounce, so you, you had to be able to try and minimise those dot balls. Well, Matthias Murali, the thrun, uh, or Murali as everyone calls him these days, or those days, because it was easier, simple as that, um, uh, he developed uh, an amazing record. Uh, history will show he's the greatest uh, wicket-taker in, in Test history. Uh, not many people could play him. Uh, what, did you, what did you work on? What did you look at when you were looking at Murali with his unique action? Yeah, it was bizarre because in those days that Dusa actually spun a lot as well. It wasn't uh, perhaps like the back end of his career where it was more of a top spinner. Um, so you were, you were watching the hand... And it would actually come and go. There would be a few overs in Test cricket as well where you could pick him, um, but then for whatever reason it would disappear and you couldn't, and you couldn't see it again, and, and that posed its own challenges. You know, I think to Stephen Fleming where he got that magnificent 270 in a Test match in Sri Lanka, mm. said he didn't pick it once. But in those days with no DRS, you could just thrust your pad at it and you could get away with it. Um, you can't do that one-day cricket, obviously. But, you know, you're looking at the hand, and if you're not seeing it out of the hand, then you're looking for the ball to spin, or which way it's spinning the seam in the air. And that's probably where it came and, came and went a little bit, based on the colour of the ball and the seam and all of those things. So uh, it, was, it was always a challenge. He'd killed us before. And when we came up against those great bowlers, we always tried to just take them none for 30. Just try and give them no wickets. Yeah. Don't allow them to get on a roll. None for 30 off 10 and try and get the guys at the other end. Four years later, you're in uh, Granada in uh, the West Indies, uh, 111 not out in the Super 8s against Sri Lanka. I uh, didn't, didn't actually win that one either, but uh, again, um, you know, four years later, you, you found a, a, a sort of a love affair against the uh, Sri Lankan attack. <laughs> yeah, this one's probably one of the more embarrassing things, is it? Is it or close to New Zealand's slowest ever ODI 100? I think it's, uh, I think it's something <laughs> like that. <laughs> it was dreadful, to be honest. <laughs> well, we kept losing wickets throughout. And that was probably, you know, the thing I remember from that game is Brendan McCullum's advice, and where, we, where I first perhaps saw the leadership that we all came to know in, in years to come was because in the debrief after that, we had the old school thinking of Chris Harris, who was saying, look, you've just got to get yourself a total 
uh, and you never know, right? If you could get to 230, you might be able to defend it. It might be one of those one in a hundred games where you can defend a, a subpar total. But Brendan McCullum's advice, unsurprisingly, was more on the positive side, saying, look, 230 is never going to be enough. You might as well get bowled out for 170. But in that odd chance that you have your day and you start hitting some boundaries, you get to 260 and you give yourself a better chance. So, you know, I took from that game, yes, it was a a terribly slow 100, but we were in trouble the whole way. But it was a really good lesson moving forward to follow what I thought was... Uh, the way the game was moving, which was what Brendan was suggesting, and that is, you might as well lose badly if you're always going. If you're going to lose it with the 230 score, then you might as well try and take that chance and see if you can get to 260 plus uh, and give yourself a better chance on the odd day you come off. And then four years later, it comes and cycles these things. So it was your last, actually, you ended up being your last one international, 188. Um, you scored 57 uh, against uh, Sri Lanka. What, what do you remember about playing cricket in Sri Lanka as such, those conditions? Oh, I'm not sure how many times you went there, Smithy, but I always found it the hottest. and I, I've always enjoyed the heat. It's never really bothered me too much. Um, but towards the back end of the career, as you get a bit older and you can't move as much, um, I, the heat mm. really did affect me. And, and Sri Lanka was the hottest of all the countries and the toughest to, to play. And you probably got the best batting conditions, but you also had to deal with probably the hottest conditions. Now, India can be, and Pakistan can be obviously brutal as well, but Sri Lanka was tough. Um, and the trouble we had in that game is we'd just come off beating the favourites for the tournament, which was South Africa in the semi-final. Perhaps people may remember the game where we sort of all had a bit of a dust-up with Faftu Plessis in the middle um, and, and beat them where people perhaps hadn't expected it. And then we went to Sri Lanka where they were very good, at course, at home. They were very good in those conditions. Uh, and they'd beaten us the previous World Cup as well in the semi-final. So they did have the wood over us, and we were still trying to figure out how to beat them in World Cups. It was interesting, uh, in fact. So... Uh, overall, um, you did pretty well against Sri Lanka. If you look at just picking those scores out, those scores out on a random selection, so uh, not many did. I mean, it was just wasn't about Murali though, because um, what about Chimin Devas back in those days? Yeah, Chimin Devas was uh, a wily character as well, because he um, he knew how to bowl in those conditions. He was a medium quick bowler in the early days. His pace had, had dropped quite a lot. Uh, in the in the back half, but he, he started bowling those little cutters. We often see Tim Southey and even Trent Bolt bowl that three-quarter ball, they call it, um, where it just sort of holds in the surface and moves away from the batsman. So he could swing the ball and then bowl that, the mixture of those cutters as well. So he got his cricket, smartest cricket intelligence was incredibly high and tough conditions to bowl as a seamer, but he found a way. Um, so you, it was about trying to, uh, I guess, play him as a fast, spinner, if you like, in the, in the uh, back end of his career. And again, it was about rotating that strike really well because you didn't get too many freebies to hit. Scotty, as we look at cricket uh, these days and we look at uh, the Black Caps, we had a bit of a report card yesterday with our great mate Sid Cumming and uh, we didn't reckon uh, this has been one of the great summers at home for the, for the men's test side. How, how did you look at it? Yeah, pretty similar. It's it's perhaps a little bit of a concern. I don't know what you discussed, but did you think it was perhaps the end of our great era we've just had? 
Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, it was uh, the signs were there? Although the, the two batting replacements that are coming in, uh, and and I, well, I still uh, regard Conway as a bit of a replacement because he's still relatively new there. Will Young looks pretty cool, but I'm I'm not prepared to uh, rate Will Young too highly against the Netherlands on on that performance. But I'm saying that the, it, it looks bright enough in that area. But the pace attack is just starting. I mean, you you played with uh, a couple of these guys, so. Uh, you know full well um, when the old legs start kicking and with the quicker bowlers, you've got to start looking around. I, I just wonder uh, whether we've had our best moments for a while. Yeah, and I don't think that's necessarily um, a knock on this group of players because whenever you compare a, to someone like Williamson or Ross Taylor, you're always going to come short. They're our, two of our three great batsmen for a reason. Um, and... You know, these, you're right. I think these guys coming in, Conway and uh, Will Young, are fantastic. Uh, and with the fast bowlers, the same. You know, I think uh, you know you've got you've got Sir Richard Hadley out on an island by himself, but right behind him is is Southie and Bolt. And and Trent Bolt had half the summer off uh, for for reasons, uh, personal reasons. Um, so you know, again, if you're going to compare them to the to the likes of Bolt, then you you probably are going to come short. Um, and you're right. As you get older, the legs become harder. It's more the recovery too. You don't bounce back as much. So if you've spent 20 overs bowling in the in the dirt the day before, it's going to take you a little bit to get going the next day. And that that's where I, I worry a little bit. Where are the next cro- uh, crop coming through? Um, and it's no slight on them. You know, when you go up against the greats that we've had, this golden era that we've had, it's always going to be tough to try and replicate. How do you fix the yips, mate? <laughs> Well, I can tell you, practice isn't one of the isn't one of the options because I get on the practice green and I tell you what, I'm a genius. But when I get out there, um, I, I, my hands can't be get involved in it. You know, I, I've got three footers that I'm missing by six inches either side. It's not even hitting the hole. So uh, I'm, I'm, I played last. I play every Thursday afternoon, Smithy, and I almost threw the clubs in the uh, in the lake and walked home. <laughs> hey Scotty, it's great to catch up with you, mate. Uh, enjoy uh, enjoy your golf these days. Um, uh, look forward to catching up. We've got to, we've got to have a reunion, uh, the old Sky guys, at some point. So uh, I'll look forward to that, mate. Thanks for your chat this morning and your memories uh, of cricket against Sri Lanka. Fantastic. Yeah, no worries. Thanks very much, Smithy. Yeah, cheers, Scott Styrus. There, terrific bloke and uh, great guy to tour around the country with and uh, talk about cricket and uh, and other things. So I uh, miss those days. Uh, we had a nice little group there at Sky, and uh, we don't have it anymore. But Scotty, of course, vast knowledge too of uh, Indian cricket through the IPL, etc. So uh, a man that we should perhaps get on a lot more often uh, here on uh, SENZ in the mornings, uh, courtesy of Polaris. It is 9.21. What are we going to talk about today? What can we encourage you to ring up about? Uh, look, get on the phone, 0800 just tell us, what, how do you think Tiger will going to go? It doesn't have to be a long and depth conversation. How do you reckon Tiger's going to go? Uh, will he make the cut in your mind? The fact that he's even teeing it up, isn't that a victory for Tiger and a victory for golf in itself? Um, what about the Tiger Woods story uh, and the way that he... I, I can't think, uh, really going back in time, how a bloke could just, um, leading up to a, a tournament like the Master, could just play a few rounds with his son. Back in those days, that just didn't happen. Uh, so he's broke, breaking down a, a few borders uh, and barriers uh, in terms of those guys with the green jacket. So double eight double three is our text number. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. How do you reckon Tiger's going to go? Every month, visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. 
This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.27 here on SENZ. Time for a call from Dunedin and our great friend Dean. Good morning to you, Dean. Tiger Woods, eh? Yeah, looking forward to it, Smithy. Just good to see the red shirt on the golf course on a hopefully a Sunday afternoon over there, Monday here. It's a good excuse for a day off to watch the last round anyway. And uh, all honesty and reality, what are you expecting from Tiger Woods? I mean, we're first competitive tournament uh, back on one of the hardest walking courses on the PGA. Yeah, mate. Uh, when they say classes, permanent forms, temporary, whatever, I, I looked at the TAB odds and thought that's good money for him to lead after round one. He could smoke a first round, and then I don't care. Oh, my money's on Brooks Kepsky, to be pretty honest. Like he. He really likes that course, and who knows? Cameron Smith's playing great golf, as you know. But you, winning your first yep. of anything is bloody hard. So until you've done that, the last day can be just too much. So we don't know. I don't know. It's great to see so, him playing golf. And that's all it is for me. Simple. Well, it's only, round, it's only good. I mean, the, the, there's no downside to it, Dean, the, the, uh, that I can see on the whole deal. I mean, he deserves his right there. He's got a full-time life exemption, so he's not taking anyone else's place. So... Uh, it's only good, um, yeah, and, and as you say, I mean, uh, I look back and I think, is there is there an individual going around that has more influence on the ratings in any sport in the world, do you think? No, <laughs> it's a simple answer, no, TV ratings will say so, like, everyone will be watching his first round at Augusta on Friday. Uh, Dino, we did not uh, get your... Uh, I don't think we got anything through from you yesterday. Your favourite four Highlanders of all time? Favourite four Highlanders of all time? Yeah. Jeez, now you got uh, All time. Yep. Um, well, obviously Aaron Smith has got to be right. I've never seen a halfback like him, so he he has to be up there. I reckon the most yep. underrated that would have been an all-black for me would be Ash Dixon. And then let me go back yep. a wee bit and think, I'm not... I love Payne Randall. I just felt sorry. He was got right in the start of the rotation thing. Like He could have been very, very good, but he got mixed up with not sure where to go. And I'll I'll probably throw in there old Paul Henderson, microwave, or Simon Calhane. Now, Simon oh. Calhane, bugger it. He's got the all-black record. Simon Calhane from Southland. Throw him in there. Nipsey. Dino, I knew, I knew you'd be good. I, I knew you'd come up with names that we never even considered yesterday. So uh, I'll uh, we'll leave it at that. Thanks very much for your call this morning. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm like you. I'll be watching Tiger Woods very, very closely. Ginge Henderson. Ginge Henderson and Nibs Colhane. Well, there you go. Only from Dean from Dunedin. It is 9.30 here on SENZ. And it's time for the news with Araha. here on SENZ uh, and a new Olympic cycle has begun for our sailors as they compete in this week's uh, Princess Sophia Regatta in Palma. Facing freezing temperatures and strong winds, they're being tested early as preparations begin for those Olympics in Paris in 2024. The Olympic classes are on show with the 49ers, the 49er FX, the ILCA 6 and 7, the NACRA 17 plus, the men's and women's IQ foil. And joining us to talk about those categories uh, and uh, about those early signs 
is Yachting New Zealand's High Performance Director, Ian Stewart. Good morning to you, Ian. Thanks for your time. Hey, good morning. No problem. Look, I, I think about Palmer and I think about Mallorca. I certainly don't think about these kind of conditions. These are most unusual, aren't they? Well, you know, that's exactly right. That You know, you go to the sunny Ibiza-type summers, but no, look, it's not unusual. This time of year, you get uh, you get the mistral blowing from the Pyrenees, and it, and it funnels down and on top of Palmer there. So, so no, it's it's a uh, it's a typical start to the to the northern yachting um, racing season. So this is uh, this is pretty standard. Every time our cycle begins this far out, I mean, we're looking. What are we now? We're halfway. We're coming up halfway through 2023. Uh, looking at 2024. This how long is how long the process normally is? No, th- there's nothing standard about it. I mean, most of our classes and sailors uh, were re-engaging basically for the first time for two years. A lot of them, you know, obviously with the with New Zealand being in isolation and the whole COVID world. Um, and with a shortened Olympic cycle, you know, going from four years to now, we're from today, we're you know, we're we're over two and a half, just over two and a half years to an Olympic Games. So, so yeah, pretty shortened, not typical, um, and, and and new classes. You know, we've got sailors there who are uh, in the in the IQ windfoiling, particularly who haven't raced against international competition before. So, um, yes, very new. So are we in catch-up mode a little bit, Ian, then, because of our uh, isolation as such? Yeah, yeah we certainly are. And, and we found that at the Olympics. You know, we were uh, isolated at the bottom of the world, and, and the world continued. You know, our, our Olympic competitors were all grouped in Europe and, and charging along. Um, so, yes, we are in catch-up. But, but in saying that, you, you know, we've got some teams who, you know, they're there or thereabouts and, and line up pretty well I think for Paris Right let's look at uh, some of the classes that uh, we've mentioned previously, the 49ers with three pairs in that class uh, Isaac McCarty, William McKenzie, Dunning Beck and Oscar Gunn and then Sam Bacon with uh, Henry Gautry so what's the field like in that class with three uh, pairs in there I would imagine it's quite substantial Yeah and, and it's always world class I mean, they, all these classes are, uh, uh, you know, we're looking at the best in the world so obviously with Pete and Blair um, leaving the class, and you know, these are, this is a chance for these young guys to step up. You know, and they've been, you know, I look at, at Logan, Danny Beck, and Oscar Gunn. They've been in the top ten in the world. They're capable of being in the top three. Um, they've been chased along with Isaac McCarty and, and Will McKenzie, who, um, you, you know, that, these guys are a tight training squad. So you know, they they. Uh, definite medal contenders. Um, you know, they continue on their trajectory. That they, they'll be in the game for for twenty twenty four. Forty nine FX with uh, Alex Maloney, who's now paired up with Olivia Hobbs. New combination there. How are they going, in your opinion, in these early days? No, look, they're, they're, they're going to be very interesting. I mean, we're, we're very l- lucky. We now have two FX crews. The other ones, Joe Ale and and Molly Meach. Yeah. So, so the, the new combinations, and, and I think the whole thing for these guys is to, is to try and keep the big picture because, you, you know, you're not going to go out and hit it out of the park first up. It's, it is, um, you know, it's, it's the team together. Olivia Hobbs is, is a really good crew, but she's quite new to an international competition. And, you know, tactically, that's going to take some time. Um, 
you know, we've got Joe, Ale and Molly who aren't at this event. They'll be at the next one. And, and you know, for for Joe swapping classes, you know, it's 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 going to be take some time. So I think for them, it's just it's just keeping the big picture. They've got the capability, but it's easy to be a bit polarised on on this initial first event for the year. I think. It's one of those classes that we, we kind of got uh, familiar with uh, to the outsider looking in. You know, um, it's pretty hard to differentiate some of them, but the 49ers is one because, of, as you say, Peter Beerling, Blair Took was sort of synonymous with it. Uh, but it's changed a, a wee bit now in terms of the technology. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So there's a slight evolution in, in equipment. And, and look, their objective from the equipment is tried to make, this is the one design class and, and they're trying to tighten up on that fact um, it hasn't been that accurate previously um, but that, that objective has meant some really different characteristics in, in sales setup and mass setup so you know when you've we've held a lot of IP obviously Pete and Blair top of the game you, you know they held some pretty decent IP on how to make these boats go fast so so there's a shift there it's, it's who can jump on on this as soon as possible um, yeah, and as I say, the guys working as a tight team, and it's their opportunity to, to figure this out um, as best they can. The ILCA has two classes, Class 6, uh, Class 7. Um, tell us a wee bit about uh, uh, who's there for us in that regard and, and the differentiator between the two classes, the, dif- the difference as such. Yeah, so, so a bit of a fancy new name for the for the laser class and the and the radial class, which is the women's class, which is the same hull, laser hull, but a slightly smaller um, sail configuration. So, so new names are now called just to confuse everyone. They're now called an Elkis Six and an Elkis Seven. Um, but you know, okay. we've got a couple of couple of good competitors there. Tom Saunders, who won the worlds last year, um, and George Gortry, who you know, who, who's Who's had a tough start with a couple of gear breakages, but has, has had a first and a third and a and a fleet which is you know 150 strong. So pretty pretty um, pretty good indications of what they can do. I think we're getting used to. Uh, I mean, the old school of us uh, were always thought of sailing about sailing. Now we hear we hear this term foil all the time. It's been uh, brought to prominence, of course, because of the America's Cup. But the the IQ foil uh, that looks a pretty cool class. Yeah, they are. They're really super exciting. And, you know, as I was saying before, you know, these guys and girls haven't raced against international competition before. You know, they've been in the wilderness trying to work out how to make these things go fast here in New Zealand for the last two years. So, um, yeah, look, it is. It's a shift in our sport, which is exciting. And, and as you said, has been brought on with, with the cup foiling and it's filtered down to our Olympic sailing. And, you know, we have, we have the kite... Um, boards for them, they're not there in Palmer, but it's another exciting class. And then we've got the Macra Tevatin, which is a two-handed multi-hull, and that you know foiling as well. So, yeah, I think that shift, the shift in our sport, has been significant over the last, you know, five, four, five, six years. Sounds expensive, though. I mean, are you you're in the terms of high performance, so I, I guess you cover a lot of bases when you're talking a lot of this new equipment and you talk foils, etc. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind uh, is uh, not cheap. No, no, and that's and that's right. You, you, you know, it's it's something which, you know, you're not packing your your um, your 
tracksuit and your and your running shoes and, and heading off overseas. There's a lot of a lot of equipment. There's logistics behind that equipment, but that's actually where the the wind foiling and the kiting is quite neat. And in, in that, it is stuff that you can put on a plane. It's, look, don't get me wrong, it's costly. Um, and compared to other sports, our guys have a lot of skin in the game from that point of view. Um, you know, something like the NACRA, that's another league. You know, that, they're starting to get into into the, a backup team, not too dissimilar to, to a professional team. So, so that's another, yeah, it's a bit of a concern in our sport. Um, but, the, yeah, the, the, the lighter, more nimble windfoilers, kites, uh, it's, it's pretty accessible. Often, and when we look at these Olympic sports, the funding in them is uh, governed by previous performance, etc. Which is, as a lot of people say, that's quite a weird way to look at it. They should be looking forward in terms of what you need rather than what you've just done and what 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 was enough at that point. So it's an interesting concept. But that is uh, what you you guys the the hand that you guys are dealt with. First of all, uh, how is the funding situation looking for 2024? Because I believe there were some grants handed out. Yeah, look, the funding is always um, a challenge for us. I mean, we we have we you know we have a, a challenge to not shrink to our budget operations. You know, we've got to still look at how we can keep growing our sport and our classes and into what is required. Um, you know, we're, we're very lucky to have the high performance sport backing, um, and I think from Yachting's point of view, it's it's a sport that is you know podiumed. Um, consistently over over multiple cycles, so, so well, that's just it's up to us to to keep that with our with our programs, our youth development programs, and 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 you know keep on top of the world. So they get funding this far out. Some of the some of our sailors. It, it, absolutely. I mean, we you know as as we're talking before in terms of equipment, logistics, getting to these international events. I mean, to be competitive, you've got to be lining up against the world. At the events overseas, so you know that takes a, it takes a decent um, cost for for you know a a team or you know a family. So so the funding is super valued, and our guys simply just can't operate without the support. So they're there in Spain at the moment, um, and of course uh, the the bigger news uh, that came through during the week of already last week was uh, the America's Cup being. Uh, now it's decided that it will be raced uh, in Spain and Barcelona. Uh, what, are, what are we expecting there uh, uh, in terms of the conditions? That does it, it, we're going through the rough ones now, so timing of that event will be crucial. You probably know the weather patterns a lot better than most of us over there. Uh, what do you anticipate in terms of that defence from Team New Zealand's point of view? Oh, look, I, I haven't focused on it too much at all. I, I I'm not even too sure what time of year they're having it because I know Barcelona has that real varied weather pattern. So so look, I haven't I haven't seen it. Um, from our part, you know, we've got the Olympics which start um, you know end of July August in Marseille, south of France. So so for us, that's really our our ground zero and our focus from now through to 24. So south of France, then uh, let's say uh, it doesn't appear that that far away from Spain when you look at it on the map. But conditions then uh, at Olympic time, what do you ex- what would you expect there? Oh, look, it can be really variable. It's it's traditionally I think there's there's a you know you got the heat, so you get a sea breeze. It's not a strong sea breeze, um, but it, you know it's a venue which can be like a New Zealand that you can get 
all varied conditions, which suits our guys. You, you know, you're not stuck in a corner of a of a lighter a lighter air venue. But but in saying that, you know, you immediately your, your imagery goes to the south of France, lighter sea breeze, fine weather. Um, but no, no it's, it should be it should be a good venue, challenging, but will be a good venue. Okay, so the cycle's begun now. Um, how close to the Olympics do you have to finalise your teams, uh, the makeup of your teams throughout the classes? Yeah, that, look, that's something that our our Olympic committee are looking at at now, and it's always it's always a very um, interesting discussion. You know, what what selection time is too early, what's too late to allow the allow the sailors enough time to prepare. I mean, because the cycle's compressed, you know, we've got a combined world championships next year, which is only the first time that we get to announce where you've got it. You've got to earn a qualifying spot for your class first. Um, so we've got to get through that, and then we've got to look at what the timely run into selection will be. Um, you know, what world championships are early 24? Um, you know, what pinnacle events can be a true um, selection regatta for our guys. Um, you know, I know a lot of countries select really early, and, and you know, there's certain merits in that, the stability and understanding you're going to the Olympics. Um, and the other side of that, you know, is leave it as as long as possible and let the competition develop um, and watch you know watch the younger crews give them a chance to to come through. Ian Stewart, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, great to hear that things are uh, up and running. Tough conditions at the moment, but uh, that, is, uh, uh, that is sailing, I would imagine. And you just uh, wake up every morning and see what comes to pass. But it's been wonderful chatting to you to just to let, uh, let everyone know that things are underway and we're on track. Thank you. Yeah, nice one. Thanks so much. Yeah, cheers. Ian Stewart there, who, uh, of course, is Yachting New Zealand's high-performance director and a very busy man at that because uh, as you can see just from the number of crews competing in those classes this far out uh, there's a lot to administer and uh, a lot to get through so uh, very interesting indeed 9.47 here on SENZ uh, we're going to talk to Louis Herman Watt with some uh, horse racing stuff before at 10 o'clock but uh, also I think we'll have a multi but a uh, chance to take a break now and uh, get some more texts from you or some calls Tiger Woods how do you reckon he's going to go we've got some already thank you Every month, visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Louis Herman Watt joins us at the earlier time, which is uh, great racing today, Louis, at Ashburton. Yeah, Cash Burton, Smithy. Um, have a fill up, why don't you? Today's actually the first day they're using the new track rating system as well. So we're rating, racing on a soft five. Uh, this was while you were at the World Cup. I don't know if you're across this, but you do love your Australian racing. So they've brought our track rating system to equal Australia's. So it's no longer a slow track. Well, this would be a dead five ordinarily, but it's now a soft five. So if you see soft, you might panic and go, oh, that sounds terrible. But it's actually still a five. So remember, that's the pen pentrometer reading and it's a five today uh, you're right nice racing there's actually a, a really cool open handicap race which is kind of rare f- rare for this time um, so go have a look at those fields tab.co.nz and you can have a bet good on you louis thanks very much we have to rush through it today thanks for your time and you can go home now uh, good on you i like that 
Uh, so Ashburton today, of course, uh, Canterbury Park and Sandown Lakeside from Australia. The other feature races on this Wednesday card this afternoon and, of course, championship racing coming out of Australia this weekend. So uh, we'll take a short break and when we come back, multi-time. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Right, we've got uh, 30 seconds apparently to get through this. So uh, yesterday we missed out because Australia beat Pakistan in that uh, T20 overnight. So uh, we went down the Googler there. Uh, today the Denver Nuggets to beat the San Antonio Spurs at $1.25. The Melbourne City beat uh, Sydney Football Club tonight uh, in the A-League at $1.83. And Tiger to miss the cut. So that one you'll have to wait for. But Tiger to miss the cut, that's $2.08 at the moment, I understand. So that result would be $4.75. After the break, Michelle Hooper, who is the Tournament Director for the Women's Rugby World Cup. Every month, visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.03 here on SENZ, heading into the second hour. About this time yesterday, we talked to uh, Andrea Nelson, of course, who was uh, in charge of uh, running the Cricket Women's World Cup for 2022. We put a full stop on that, which meant we uh, opened the door on the next big uh, women's tournament, of course, which is the Rugby World Cup. Uh, and that is uh, scheduled to begin uh, on October 8th. And that, uh, according to me, is around about six months away. So I thought it'd be a great time to get to in. Michelle Hooper. Now, Michelle uh, has joined us this morning. She is the tournament director for the uh, Women's Rugby World Cup. And uh, I would imagine, uh, Michelle... You kept a little bit of an eye uh, on the Cricket World Cup just to see how it was going. Good morning to you. Good morning, Ian. Um, lovely to be with you today. Yes, um, watched on in great admiration of the Cricket World Cup unfolding here in New Zealand. Um, it was a, a very difficult period with the um, crowd restrictions and everything else, but the team did an amazing job to deliver that uh, Cricket World Cup. And it was such a testament to all of their hard work to see the sellout match in uh, Christchurch on Sunday. I was actually fortunate enough to have flown down there and um, been part of it and seen firsthand the incredible atmosphere and uh, just the international flavour and experience um, of, of the tournament. It just gave me goosebumps thinking about what our Rugby World Cup um, starting on October the 8th here in Auckland in Aotearoa, um, the potential that we have to um, deliver an outstanding event. Yeah, Michelle, it gives me goosebumps to think about it as well because a lot of that was done, as you say, under COVID restrictions. Fingers crossed, and let's all do that around the country. You might not have to um, have to sustain or uh, endure those kind of restrictions. So we're looking perhaps at uh, one of the most well-supported women's events ever, probably in New Zealand, uh, with the crowd numbers, uh, I think, going to be very good. That's right, and, uh, you know, we uh, um, we bought um, won this tournament right hosted on a bid to supercharge the women's game. Uh, we've been very ambitious in saying we want to achieve a world record attendance on that opening match day on the 8th of October at Eden Park. Um, we don't just want to break the record, which is around twenty to 21,000. We want to smash it out of the park. We want a full house at Eden Park, 48,000, uh, to be part of that experience. And there's never been a better time for New Zealanders to, you know, buy tickets to an event 
Um, it's affordable, it's accessible, children from $5, adults from as little as $10 a ticket. Um, so there's no excuse for people not to um, sign up and get their family um, on board for um, a Rugby World Cup experience um, in October, November this year. Well, the Cricket World Cup was able to showcase cricket around the country. Yours is a, a lot more condensed. Give us uh, the details, uh, Michelle, of, of uh, your venues as such uh, and the format for this tournament. Absolutely. It's a very unique um, format. It's obviously we're just hosting in Auckland on Whangarei. Um, we've got three match venues, Eden Park, Waitakere Stadium and Northland Event Centre. <clears throat> All of the pool phase matches, pool phase matches are Saturday, uh, triple header games, so three um, games back-to-back at one venue. Um, and they're all Saturday and Sunday. So you go to Eden Park and you'll see three games at that opening match day. Um, South Africa, France, England, Fiji, um, and then the number one game of the day, obviously, being a Kiwi, um, Australia, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll all be in one day. Uh, and then the semi-finals um, and the finals will both be at Eden Park as well. So it's a unique footprint, only 10, 10 match days. Um, and as I said, uh, the, the 10 tickets are incredible pricing. The, um, we actually so, are releasing our team's venue packs this Friday. So this Friday, so how do people go about getting involved this far out in terms of ticket purchase as such? Uh, well, yeah, so it's a huge week for us. So today's the trophy tour that's being launched around the country. Um, and that trophy's going to go from Cape Reinga to the Bluff. And then in terms of ticket support, so on Friday we're releasing our team and venue packs. So you could have a um, venue pack to Eden Park, it was opening match, uh, semi-final and a final. Or you could have a Blackburn supporters pack or an England supporter pack, depending on what team you want to support. Um, and for a very little investment um, to, to be able to secure that and you know have it in your hand. It's very unusual to think that you could actually just go and purchase one of those online for a Rugby World Cup from mm. Friday this week. Um, you know, Normally you have to go into a ballot and it's a wait list and you may miss out. This one you can... Go online to purchase and, and have it in your hand that day. So um, it's you, a very unique situation. Michelle, two venues is quite an interesting concept. As you say, it's, it's quite unique. Did you contemplate a wider a wider spread event? Yeah, the, the locations were chosen before I before I came on board, but I think the underlying um, sentiment was to supercharge the women's game, have a smaller, tighter footprint, and spend the money and the, and the energy on generating you know venues that you can drive between. Um, securing international stadiums. So obviously in a stadium like Eden Park, one of the most famous rugby stadiums in the world, uh, Northland Event Centre have proudly hosted many uh, Rugby World Cup and international matches. And Waitakere Stadium have also hosted international test events. Um, you know, and really focusing on that um, easy access and drivability. Uh, I think given the groundswell of support for women's sport and women's rugby, um, if you were to do it again, you'd definitely take it further south. I think in the COVID uh, environment, the smaller footprints mean it's been more manageable and, and, you know, some of the challenges may be less challenging. And as you say, hopefully we don't have any of those challenges anyway um, and we can look to all mm. of our events to be sell-out events. Um, but it's, you know, uh, the, the, um, huge momentum shift for women's sport. It's going to be an incredible event. Yeah, I mean, it's the middle one of three, isn't it? Because we've got the, uh, the Women's Football World Cup co-hosting with Australia next year. I mean, it's just the most amazing time for women's sport in this country. Uh, on that basis, uh, are you really confident that uh, New Zealanders will travel from the south, etc., uh, to get involved in this tournament? Well, I, I hope so. We're pitching to them to do that, and you know, a piece of cake for me to jump on a plane and fly to Christchurch on Sunday, seventy-eight dollar ticket mm. there and back. Um, you know, if you buy early enough, and I think that first week of the tournament is um, the 
uh, school holiday. So it's a great opportunity to travel with your kids and, and book in a bit of a, a, a holiday um, in the North Island and, and, you know, go and do things like go to the Sky Tower and, um, you know, really make a package holiday of it. Um, so, yes, I'm confident that they will. And I think the love for rugby, the love for women's rugby, and the desire to be part of a historical moment in time, um, you know, you can't, you, you know, it's a bucket list item going to a Rugby World Cup. Um, and with the ticket pricing as affordable as it is, there's just not, the, the barriers just aren't there to, for people to not attend. And then they have to go overseas to do it. Um, and in the other sense, and it's a bucket list item for a lot of people, why not just fly to Auckland and, and, or Northland and, and go to um, one of the 10 Rugby World Cup match days? It'll be an experience that you won't, won't be repeated. No, it won't be repeated. As you say, it's hugely unique for, for that part of the country. Uh, the upside for me, um, and I, I would imagine the players will probably go along with this too, is that uh, there's no excuse for having, you know, uh, we didn't have a break long enough in between games because the turnaround gaps for the players, uh, because of this concept, uh, will be equal, won't they? Correct. Yep, it's five days for every team. Everyone's got equal. Um, but, you know, in the men's tournament, it's a much longer format. This is a really you know, short, dynamic format. Um, and the fact you've got triple header match days, which they don't do in the men's game either, means that you've got mm. um, you know, a way to get through the matches more quickly uh, and with less venues. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how it could you know, impact um, you know, future World Rugby tournaments. It'll certainly be interesting to see how it's um, received by the New Zealand public. Um, we're planning an in-venue entertainment program that goes alongside the rugby. It's really family-focused, so lots of things for the kids. You know, that was such a winner at the Cricket World Cup final on Sunday, just seeing all the kids with the cricket bats playing cricket. Um, you know, we want to ensure that our family zones are um, created so that families feel like they can stay and have a comfortable, enjoyable experience, even though the kids are all running around. Um, so there's going to be some really interesting... You know, one of our lounges is very family-focused, so you can get a... Um, yeah. Corporate hospitality experience where you can bring your kids and have a little bit extra, um, you know, comfort in your day, but still um, be part of the be part of the rugby action in the stands. Uh, so you know we're really so generating this towards the um, women's game. So Michelle, what does a day of triple headers look like in terms of timings for people wanting to come and watch? It's about two fifteen kickoff, a four forty five kickoff, and a seven fifteen kickoff for their opening match day at Eddie Park. Um, so, you know, you get come along after lunch and then you, you go into the early evening watching the game. And that opening match day, we'll also, we're planning to get a headline artist to perform, which we look forward to announcing that in due course. Um, but that's never been, never been done at a um, Rugby World Cup match before. There's lots of exciting things, too, um, that we're bringing New Zealand first, the world first in this tournament. So logistically, um, what are the challenges you face? I mean, two venues makes it sound to everybody, well, that's nice and easy. You've got uh, uh, and two hours or two and a half hours in between venues. That seems pretty easy to organise. Uh, how's it all coming together? Logistically, what are your big problems? Uh, logistically, it is very straightforward, to be honest. You know, three stadiums is, is brilliant. You know, I think the challenge has definitely been this global pandemic. And, you know, we were required to postpone last year. Um, which meant that some significant improvements could be made. You know, that extended rest period for players, splitting the matches between Saturday and Sundays and having three games a day instead of six, um, and giving Auckland and Whangarei both their equal time in the sun in terms of their own exclusive match days. So, um, you know, we've, we've addressed a lot of the logistical challenges through that postponement and then the desire to improve the format. Um, you know, World Rugby have been brilliant in that regard. Um, so really for us, it's just ensuring that we can have full crowds. That's our, you know, and it's looking like it's going to be. So I feel like we're in the um, in the dark tunnel coming out into the light and the celebration and festival and party is on New Zealand's doorstep. You know, it's October the 8th. 
and we want to kick it off with achieving a world record with our fans. I think the number one thing for New Zealanders to remember is that the Black Ferns are five times world rugby champions. This is the first mm. time they'll ever defend that title on home soil. <clears throat> and I know personally for me, ensuring that we show them how much we value them and what they've done for our country uh, is a really big, important part of my motivation. And also um, showing them the Tanga to those other 11 participating teams. Uh, the holy grail of rugby to play at the World Cup here in New Zealand, those players that are coming here. This is all of their dreams coming true, to come and play a World Cup in New Zealand. And I want them to experience um, that amazing hospitality that I know New Zealanders do so well. And that takes them to rugby because these female rugby players are, uh, you know, mad advocates and as passionate as New Zealanders are about the game of rugby. And we get the chance for New Zealanders to show off that, you know, we love the game, how important rugby is for the country. Um, it's a year of celebration um, in New Zealand across rugby. New Zealand rugby announced that earlier this year. Uh, we want to see you know parties and celebrations from grassroots all the way to the um, to the world stage, as it will be in um, the greatest manifestation of that for the Rugby World Cup, um, starting October the eighth. The other thing, uh, Michelle, I look at uh, quite a lot of women's rugby, of course, um, because uh, of uh, my role with Sky. Exactly, we've got a, a TV. We've got a huge vested interest in women's rugby, of course. But because of that, we get a lot of rugby yep. coming from overseas, and when we see. Uh, international matches being played uh, amongst the home unions in France, etc. See massive crowds, so there's massive amounts of interest yes. over there. And uh, of course, what uh, what New Zealand cricket or women uh, cricket didn't quite have was the advantage of being in, able to invite people overseas because of our COVID restrictions, etc. It really didn't open up to till too late for that. Uh, but you won't have that. Hopefully, yep. I'm saying I, I really pray. I hope you pray that there's a big market for you overseas too. Absolutely, and I mean, we're in a team workshop today. I've just come out of it to speak to you on the, on the radio, and, um, you know, one of my number one things to challenge for the team was, you know, that unprecedented global fan support. How are we tapping into that? What are we doing? You know, what new things can, what levers can we pull? And I think that's the thing with COVID, is you're constantly, every day is different, and you're constantly pulling a new lever because something else has changed, you know? And being agile and being able to work in that environment and say, okay, what else can we be doing to attract that international market? You know, here, international tourists was not originally a huge focus for the event, mostly travelling family and friends. But there's a huge following for international for women's rugby globally. And especially out of Australia and, and Europe, you know, there's potential for international tourists to travel here for the game. So um, we're looking closely at what we can now do and initiatives we can push go on um, to try and attract that interest to travel to New Zealand. Um, and you're right, you know, the border restrictions loosening up and, and the um, gates being open, so to speak, um, the world's our oyster in terms of that, as long as people have time to you know, buy the tickets and get on the plane, um, the rest we can make happen for them when they get here. Michelle, I can uh, hear the enthusiasm in your voice. It's fantastic. Actually, I heard it with Andrea Nelson. I can hear this exactly the same thing for you. So uh, I think uh, things are on track looking good. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, closer to the event, hope to catch up with you and just see how things are going. But just uh, one more opportunity for you right now to tell people how to get these tickets and get in first. Rugbyworldcup.com forward slash 2021. Rugbyworldcup.com forward slash 2021. Team and venue packs on sale on Friday, so get on, register your interest in the tickets, and then as soon as they're open, you'll get the link and you'll be able to buy the packets, but packages, but guarantee you're never going to get value like this in rugby again, and this is the bucket list family item here in New Zealand for 2022. Make sure you get there, and thank you so much, I think love being on the show, happy to get in time. Thank you, uh, Michelle, uh, so much for just updating us on how things are going, and good luck with uh, these preparations. Only six months is going to fly for you, I think, very quickly. It will, absolutely, yes. Well, and watch for the trophy tour in your town soon. It's coming around the country starting today. 
Good on you. Thank you, Michelle Hooper. Uh, great to spend some time with you and good luck with your preparations. Uh, fantastic. Sounds so enthusiastic about the whole deal and a great chance for our country on the back of the Cricket World Cup to get heavily involved. It is 10.17 here on SENZ. Uh, we'll be back with a panel very shortly. Your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Panel this morning consists of uh, Jamie Wall and Andrew Gorey. Good morning to uh, both of you gentlemen. Jamie, can I start with you? Just been talking to Michelle Hooper, uh, who is, of course, in charge of uh, putting together the Rugby World Cup uh, here in Australia for women. Begins on October the 8th. Uh, just the two venues, Auckland and Whangarei. Uh, I'm not sure a lot of New Zealand quite realises that just yet. What do you, you make of that concept? Yeah, good morning, Smith. Good morning, Gods. Uh, yeah, I remember when this first got announced, it was, it was actually way back in 2018 um, when uh, New Zealand won the hosting rights uh, for this. And it was greeted with, obviously, a lot of enthusiasm and, ex- and excitement. And then it kind of got tempered a little bit because you got this, this situation where the, the, the entire thing's only going to be played in one one region. Um, I personally, I'd like I would have liked to have seen it if it was a proper World Cup. Like we just saw what the cricket, the women's cricket World Cup uh, has done in terms of grabbing the public's expectation. Uh, sorry, public's um, imagination. And even though you know the crowd restrictions were 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 in place for most of it. Having the tournament move around the country and having having these games pop up every day in a different part of the country uh, kind of just drew a lot of people in. And I think that if you look at a rugby example of, of what can happen if you leave places out was the 2011 Rugby World Cup. Um, and through through no one's fault, obviously, the earthquake had had destroyed um, Lancaster Park, and so nothing could could happen there. But I remember talking to some people from Christchurch and thinking that, and and them thinking that you know the the whole thing had kind of passed them by a little bit, and they didn't feel quite as engaged as they could do. I'm, I'm you know, I, I know that the World Cup organisers did their best to to make sure that it ran uh, properly in those places and got to as many people as it did. But still, if you if you bring a World Cup to a country, you really should be spreading it across. Uh, as much as it, uh, of it as you can. A lot of it is down to, I, I think, um, travel costs and things. But again, that to me just shows uh, just sort of where women's rugby sits in the minds of the people who are running the game. Um, because if it was being treated like the men, um, it wouldn't just be being played in Auckland and Whangarei. I can tell you that much. Yeah, interesting point. I, I, as you're saying that, I, I totally agree. I, I wouldn't imagine that. The men's being limited to just two venues and so uh, geographically isolated in that point. But, uh, Gords, what, what's your opinion on it? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, morning, morning, Smithy, morning, Jamie, morning to your listeners. Um, yeah, I totally, totally agree with everything, everything Jamie has said. From New Zealand's point of view, when it comes to hosting, and in fact any country for that matter, when it comes to hosting a World Cup, what's the point? What's the point of hosting a World Cup? It's to, it's to boost engagement. Um, and it's to boost engagement uh, throughout all of the regions. And, and I suppose in the case of uh, hosting a Women's Rugby World Cup, the idea, I, I imagine, from, from the New Zealand government's point of view anyway, would be to showcase the game to a younger audience and inspire that next generation of player who is 
hopefully going to pick up a ball and decide to play play rugby. Now, if there's only two regions that are going to be exposed to that, what is the purpose? From from, from I'd love to ask Grant Robertson that. What what is the purpose of this then? Why why are you hosting this World Cup if there's only two two regions really, which are are actually going to get to see this in the flesh? I mean, yeah, you can say people get to watch it on TV. Well, you can watch it on TV whether it's in New Zealand or Timbuktu. It doesn't really matter. Um, so that feels like a massive missed opportunity to me, and the entire purpose, I suppose, of hosting a World Cup kind of really needs to be called into question, doesn't it? And and well, uh, just, uh, yeah. just just following on, sorry, just one one key thing. Um, you know, Michelle Hooper did come on and, and talk a lot of advertorial uh, content in her, in her little piece there, um, but uh, it doesn't really make an awful lot of sense. Um, having it just in two places because when you think about it, if you are going to be taking children and families to this, it would be just sort of one thing at a time. And if you're stacking up events in, in Whangarei and, uh, and in Auckland um, on sort of every, every three days, you're not just going to get those people who are uh, showing up for, you know, just the one-off um, experience. They're going to go once, but then next time uh, you're not going to get those people back because it's just a, out of curiosity for them. So it doesn't make an awful lot of sense commercially either. No, it, it doesn't. Uh, I can see uh, on the other side of the balance sheet where it makes a lot of sense because you've got a lot less expense in, in terms of travel and uh, accommodation and uh, all those sorts of things and moving teams from A to B. Um, so it makes, on, on one side of the balance, and, and of course logistically, as Michelle alluded to, damn side easier to run, simple as that. Uh, as opposed to, Gorge, uh, the Cricket World Cup uh, for women, um, I, you know, I, I was involved in a, from a commentary point of view, but I, I would imagine most people look back on that uh, and think, yeah, a, a success. We weren't that good as a team, but uh, women's cricket, as they say, in a very horrible old parlance, uh, was the winner. Yeah, yeah, too true, Smithy. Um, and, and, yeah, like if, if we can, and I, I don't know, Jamie sort of alluded to it before, if you can compare the two World Cups, I think the, the Women's Cricket World Cup, you would have to say, despite the performance of the White Ferns, um, was, was a massive success. And I think it was wonderful to see games played right across... Uh, the country, um, and we got to see some fantastic players as well. I mean, you know, I, I think New Zealand audiences in particular um, were probably exposed to players that they perhaps had never heard of, but they certainly know those names now. Um, and like I say, we were treated to, to some um, absolutely fantastic performances. I was really interested in, in the comments from Alyssa Healy um, and Meg Lanning, for that matter, um, post-tournament, talking about about prize money and, and the, how they would like to see prize money um, not just obviously boosted for the women's game, but how it perhaps might be spread. Um, I thought that was a really noble thing to say um, because it would be so easy, wouldn't it? I, I can't imagine, you know, what, while obviously Australia and England, I suppose from a, a women's cricketing point of view, are the two premier nations, um, I can't imagine, for example, that they're getting paid anywhere near as much as their, their male colleagues, but they understand the broader concept that to make the game bigger and better you need to build from the base up. You know, if you're building a, building a tower out of your Lego at home or whatever and you have a tiny base, well, it's not going to get very high before it falls over. But if you broaden the base, you're going to be able to build up so much higher. And I think that's a, that's a great concept. And it's, I think it's interesting, though, that it takes for the players to realise that and voice their opinions on that. Um, it's really up to the administrators and the people who are deciding how much uh, each team gets at a World Cup. They really need to take a look at that model and see what they can do what they can be doing differently to try and build up, I suppose, some of those, those smaller nations to ensure that come the next World Cup, there's more than just two teams, really, who are competing for the title. 
Andrew Gordy, Jamie Wall with us uh, on the panel this morning. Going to take a very short uh, news break uh, and come back with uh, another two or three burgeoning issues. Here is Arawa with the news at 10.30. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. You've said countless times throughout your career that you don't enter a golf tournament unless you think that you can win it. Mm -hmm. So the question is simple. Do you think you can win the Masters this week? I do. Tiger Woods, very short answer. Do you think you can win the Masters? Yes, we're with uh, Andrew Gordy uh, and Jamie Wall this morning uh, on the panel. Uh, Jamie Wall, it's been confirmed. Tiger Woods tees off, uh, I think, 10.23 Eastern Standard Time on uh, Thursday morning in the USA and Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, what have you made of uh, this Tiger Woods chapter? I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, I love the two-word answer. Uh, just keep it as succinct as possible. You know, it's it's, it's iconic. I love it. It's just like when uh, Michael Jordan ret- uh, returned. You know, I'm back. All you need is two words. It's perfect. It's perfect. A lot of people could learn learn from Tiger Woods in terms of getting their message across. Um, I think that you know, as as a casual golf fan, um, you know, I'm not going to be able to tell you about uh, backswing or, or anything like that. But you know, for me, this guy is golf. He he. When he plays, you watch. You know, you look at those crowds that are showing up just to watch him practice, and you see what he brings to the sport and how much they need. Not just not just golf needs, but but sports itself needs guys like him, uh, icons. Um, at the same time, though, it is interesting for me because you know only a fortnight ago we were talking about Ash Barty and her decision to walk away at age twenty-five or uh, twenty-six. Up, uh, you know, w- well before a lot of people thought she would, and and we could all celebrate that and and be happy for her for the choice she's made. And at the same time, we can be happy for a guy like Tiger Woods who's come out um, at 43, who has every excuse, uh, you know, to be just living it up somewhere nice uh, under a palm tree, sipping a cocktail, and not even thinking about this. But the the drive that he has, the competitive spirit that the guy has can be admired as well. And I think it's really nice to have those two two stories that should really be conflicting each other, but really it shows that as sports fans, we have these these intriguing stories that uh, are coming from both sides that we can appreciate um, as well. So I'm really, I'm really looking forward to um, seeing him get out there because for me, you know, yeah, like I said, the guy is golf. He is the sport. I, I totally agree, um, and Gords, it's hard to imagine a bigger sporting story this year as, as early as we are in the year, with World Cups, etc., around the joint and everything else going on. I'm not sure there'll be a bigger story for the media worldwide than this one. Well, Smitty, I, I absolutely love it, and you know, I never thought I'd hear, um, given his track record, I probably never thought I'd hear Tiger Woods say, I do again, but here we are. Um, <laughs> he, he, he's broken the internet. Hasn't he? He's broken the internet with this. He's uh, and he's probably um, you know, uh, probably made grown men cry with those two words. Um, I just cannot wait for the circus. And you know, I think anyone put aside what you may or may not think about Tiger Woods for a moment. What you cannot deny, and what I personally love, and it's what I love about guys like Nick Kyrgios, for example, is I don't really, I don't really care like how they go. I just love what they attract and what they bring. Like everyone is going to tune in to either see Tiger Woods win the Masters or compete in the Masters or fail miserably. And I'm sure there will be some people who will be tuning in in the hope that he can win it and even possibly in the hope that he crashes and burns, so to speak, um, because they don't like the guy. But it is going to be a wild ride. 
he he doesn't um, he he doesn't. I suppose he, what, sorry, what I, what I mean is he, he is able to do things to golf that other players simply can't. And I love that you know full well that by simply saying I do, he, whether he believes that or not, he has just managed to get into the head of every single player who is going to be on that course this week because they'll be looking at him going, there's absolutely no way this guy can compete. He's, he's coming back from a, from a car crash at the Masters. There's no way he can compete, but they'll be wondering. They'll be sitting there thinking, maybe, just maybe, Tiger's actually in better shape than any of us think, and I need to be prepared for that. And suddenly they're not thinking about their own game, and Tiger's, Tiger's already um, one under at the start of the round, so to speak. Yeah, it's interesting too, Jamie, isn't it, from a, a player's point of view? I mean, uh, I, I would imagine most of them have serious belief in their own ability. I mean, that's half the battle in golf. If you can believe you can play, you can do that. But all of a sudden, not one of them, as good as they've been in Tiger's absence, uh, is uh, the number one pick anymore? Uh, and, and as Gord said, that he, and one of the reasons why uh, they do not now believe that they're the most important person there is because Tiger's there and he attracts the crowds, he attracts the media, uh, he attracts the headlines, and and to some of their egos, that might be just a little bit destroying. Oh, absolutely, and uh, and I think the PGA Tour is certainly a place where egos. Uh, go to, um, you know, uh, foster and, and grow. And I think that, yeah, you're, you're probably right. There are a few guys who are going to be a little bit miffed at the lack of uh, attendance at their press conferences, the lack of TV cameras following their, their round. And uh, I was listening to it. Uh, I think it was uh, our other golf correspondent, Guy Havelt, who I understand has actually played at Augusta, uh, but he may have mentioned that <laughs> once or twice um, in, in, in the past. But... He'd mentioned the fact that you have this war at Augusta and, and you, you, you're almost sort of 800 metres away from something happening and you can hear something going on and, and it's unmistakable. And the thing now is that every time that roar goes up, all of those other guys know that it's for one guy because that's who everyone's come to see. And so, yeah, you're right. It, it is going to be a bit crushing for some of those guys. It is going to uh, affect their egos and may well affect the way that they play just changing uh, tack, fellas, a uh, quick opinion before we go. Um, Jamie, what do we know about Costa Rican football and what do we have to find out about <laughs> Costa Rican football in a hurry? Uh, well, I'm sure um, the, uh, football, the football scribes around the country who do a very, very good job, who have done a great job covering the All-Whites in, um, in the qualifying series uh, so far, that the All-Whites not only won, but did so in style, like did, did so in a way that, gives us a bit of confidence about where, where they're going and, and what they're trying to do. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to come out and say, I don't know anything about Costa Rican football whatsoever. I did a quick Wikipedia search um, after, the, after it got confirmed that they, they were going to be the All-Whites opponents. And I was kind of surprised because I thought that a lot of them would have played in the MLS or at least the uh, Mexican um, division, uh, Premier division, uh, there, but uh, it turns out the Costa Rican uh, local league is actually pretty strong because that's where most of their players are coming from. So I can tell you that much. Um, I think though that the one thing that is definitely going to work in the All Whites' favour in this match coming up is that it's getting get, get played on uh, neutral ground. Yes, it would be wonderful if um, they, they they had a home match. Um, it's been a long time since the All Whites played at home and to play a World Cup qualifier. But I went to the last one against Peru and it was a fantastic experience. Mm. Um, but it's probably worth giving up um, just so they don't have to go and face the sort of um, 
vociferous fandom that exists in South American uh, football, because, especially because the Costa Rican fans have uh, quite the reputation for putting uh, putting off players. And, um, you know, I think that the neutral venue thing and the one-off game is not only going to uh, work in the audience favour, it's actually going to work in the fans' favour as well because it's going to mean there's going to be a lot more attacking football. You're not going to see a first leg where one team just parks the bus. Yeah, Gords, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And I've I got uh, quite a lot of faith in Danny Hay as a coach. I just think he's the perfect kind of quintessential Kiwi coach, actually. He puts his players first for, for the most part and, and just gets on with it. And I, I think there's a nice feel about this. I, I'm quietly confident. Yeah, look, I, I, I hear you uh, with regards to Danny Hay. I know some of the um, the Wellington football ultras um, or, and football snobs don't really have much time for him, but I actually think he's done a pretty reasonable job, both with the 23s, uh, obviously, when it came to the Olympics, um, and now with this all-whites team. Um, but they've got some quality players, and, and it's not just quality players now. Like, if we, can, if we compare back to the last, I suppose, great era, if we can call it that, of, of all-whites football, back at the 2010 World Cup, you know, we had a great first 11 and you know Ricky and Ryan and that managed to put together 11 players who could do a really good job on the pitch but there was very little depth there I think that's changed now and we're, we're actually producing a, a different type of player who can play a different style of football um, and, and I think we're we're really seeing that now and I think Danny's doing a, a fantastic job in terms of Costa Rica look they've got fantastic football and pedigree you know it was only you know look back at the 2014 World Cup they topped a group that featured Uruguay, Italy and England so, so if you can emerge from a group like that and top that group, that just shows you what sort of um, footballing nation we're coming up against. And, and in more recent form, obviously the last day of the CONCACAF qualifiers, they, they beat U- the USA 2-0. Now, USA have already qualified for the World Cup, I get that, but if, if you can go out and beat the USA 2-0 on home soil, you're a pretty handy side. I agree with what Jamie says. I'd probably go a step further, though. I think it's not only great that they're playing this, this match on, on neutral territory, but instead of playing 180 minutes, we're playing 90 minutes. And... You know, football is littered. Football in history is littered with examples of the underdog managing to, to knock off, um, you know, Goliath in that sense because anything can happen in football. It only, it only takes one moment. We saw that with Winston Reid against Slovakia um, back in Rustenburg in, in 2010. And so I think that also gives you added belief that an upset is possible. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm looking forward to it so much. Uh, Andrew Gordy and uh, Jamie Wall, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, that was the panel. We'll have another one at the same time tomorrow morning here on SENZ. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.48 here on SENZ, uh, and a big good morning to Jared from Christchurch. G'day, mate. How are you? G'day, Slee. How you going, mate? Good. Yeah, good, man. Good. Yep. Hey, Tiger? Smilly, you gotta be, yeah, you got to be amped. you got to be amped for this Masters, eh? I look, I look forward to it um, for a number of reasons, with or without Tiger, but certainly him being there is amazing. I'm just looking at coverage out of the corner of my eye on Channel 56 on Sky at the moment, Jared, and it's all about Tiger. They have oh, dedicated, dedicated cameras all around. It's just amazing to see how where he hit his golf balls last Monday, for God, God's sake. I mean, they've got <laughs> graphics of that. I've never seen anything like this. No. I mean, all it is on this practice range, and I'm watching it too, Smitty, all it is is about Tiger. And you know what? This, this could be one of the best sporting stories, 
you know, going around for a long time. Uh, there's a certain ring to uh, this year as well. Uh, he's at the age of 46, and there's one there's one guy that won one more Masters than him, Jack Nicholas, at the age of 46. And wow, if he can do it, you know, uh, what a ring to it uh, that would be. Let alone, you know, 14 months ago that he he, he nearly had his legs amputated. Uh, you know, and, and you listen to the commentators. He, he's just an appreciation to be at the at this course. And uh, I look. The only thing I think can be in his way is the leg. If he can walk the the, the four rounds, you know he's going to be there. And Smithy, you've got to have a punt. You've got to be down to the TAB today or tomorrow to put a bet on. Well, I was just looking at it. I'm I'm, I'm looking realistically here. I mean, okay, there's, there's a couple of things to consider. One, the, the fitness. I mean, just not the leg. What about the lungs? Uh, how, how long since he... This is a very uphill course, Jared, as you well know, being a golf fan. Uh, so there's a lot yep. of terrain that is uh, it's going to be pretty tough on the body. So there's that. Yep. Uh, and, of course, the other thing is in the 18 months or so he's been away, there have been a lot more very good golfers emerge around the world. I won't say great golfers, but very good. Strong, the field gets stronger and stronger every year, so there's a hell of a lot against them. I'm, you know what I'm going to do, mate? I'm going to go against them making the cut, and, and that's against my heart. That's just what my brain tells me, but the other side of my brain tells yeah. me, hey, it's Tiger. It's Tiger, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and uh, look, I'm just going to put a punt on just in case, because I, you just never know with this dude, And uh, but I'm going to... Also have a bet on Cam Smith uh, and Rory as always do, but um, uh, it's just yeah, you, it's just one of those things you just wonder, don't you? You just never know uh, what this dude. And um, uh, we'll, we'll just enjoy the, the, the Masters, though, won't we? Ed? Uh, it'll be a fantastic uh, occasion again, won't it? We sure as hell will, mate. We sure as hell will. Jared, thanks very much for your call, mate. Call any day. Love hey, to welcome your call. Yeah, hey, thanks, hey, thanks, love thanks, to. Thanks. Yep. yep. No problem at all. Jared from Christchurch there. I'd love to, to hear from any of you actually on this issue or a number of issues. Had a lot of texts come in as well. Hey, Smithy, I reckon Tiger wouldn't be playing this week unless he thought he didn't have a winning chance. That's fair enough. Uh, Chris says what Tiger will do is put the ratings through the roof. Everyone involved will, will be praying he makes the cut so broadcasters and fan gets four days of Tiger instead of two. Correct. Uh, that's from Chris uh, and Glenn from uh, Hobsonville. Uh, good on you, Tiger. However, the great Ben Hogan was much more seriously injured back in a car crash in 1949. His first tournament back 18 months later was the US Open. He won it. Some knowledgeable golf writers still believed he was the best ever. Interesting that Dustin Johnson said Tiger always thought he was better than Mr. Hogan. Now we will see. Interesting texts. Keep them coming in. It's 10.52 here on SENZ. Winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.57 here on SENZ, time to pop over to the TAB where we find uh, Pip Morris uh, this morning. Pip, uh, Greyhound Racing Day today out of Palmerston North. First goes at uh, 12.04, I think 11 races in all. So uh, a nice day out for the Greyhounds uh, in the Manawatu region. Certainly is, Smithy, and it's the first time too that we've got the 375 metre start back. So multiple of the races are 375. Looking forward to that for the dogs that just down that 410 a little bit far. I think three shirt day in the last, and the second to last, sorry, in race 10 really looks the multi-maker. She's only 165, but she should be winning. And then on the sports side of things, Smithy, there's been $9,000 on Peter Gowishek there to beat Tommy Paul in the tennis at Houston at $1.72. And of course, Peter's already won the first set. Uh, 
5000 as well on Kygorius to beat McDonald at the same tournament at $1.60. And then $4,750 on Orlando Magic to win wire to wire at 8 And a multi, $4,000 on the Storm, Panthers and the 76ers all to win to return $6,158. And lastly, but certainly not least, $1,000 on Tiger Woods to win the Masters at $51. I would imagine, Pip, they're amazing numbers actually, but uh, I would imagine, um, and uh, the, the guys and the girls at the TAV will be a lot busier now that Tiger's playing, wouldn't they? I certainly am. It just adds so much more to it, doesn't it? And I think people are willing to take that kind of money around him. You just know with his class, no matter what, Smithy, that he, he should be there, and it just adds that extra interest, doesn't it? It sure does, but uh, have a great day. I hope the Greyhounds run around successfully for you. Yeah, 375 metre start uh, in Palmerston North today, which uh, just makes it a little bit easier for some of the dogs that uh, don't prefer the staying distances. So, yeah, 375. We'll keep an eye on those results throughout the day. Uh, that market on Tiger Woods will be open. Many markets on Tiger Woods, actually, to make the cut, not make the cut, to win it, to win it. Top five, top ten, so many markets there available at the TAB. Of course, we advise you to bet responsibly. Uh, it is 10.59 here on SENZ in the mornings. We will have Justin Morgan, uh, the Warriors assistant coach, after that uh, as we head into uh, 11 o'clock. Uh, we thank our friends, of course, from Polaris, our side-by-side 9-12 partners in the show. So please, to have them on board uh, and get in touch with them to check their stocks. I've got vehicles coming in, many, many vehicles on a daily basis. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A lot of penalties. Harris Levita shows it. Walsh, good hands. Pompey, Montoya! Big play at the other end of the field. An even bigger play at the Broncos try line. He scores... The penalty really hurts Brisbane, and Montoya has the Warriors third. Yeah, one of the highlights of the New Zealand Warriors is they put on their best performance of the season so far against the Brisbane Broncos, uh, Brisbane Broncos last weekend on Friday night. They'll be looking to back that up with another solid performance uh, against the Queensland Cowboys. Todd Payton, of course, is in charge of them, the North Queensland side. Uh, they, too, have started with a two-from-two record. Uh, the team list Tuesday confirmed the lineup. Juggling continues due to injuries, etc. Uh, to help us uh, take us through that, as the Warriors uh, assistant coach Justin Morgan, who comes into us uh, from Queensland as we speak. Uh, Justin, thanks very much for your time this morning. No worries, Smitty. Really. Good to chat with you, mate. Yeah, good to uh, to catch up with you, man. Uh, listen, uh, what's the feeling in the group? Uh, you're two from uh, two out of four. Uh, you won the games that you would expect to have won anyway, but j- just the, f- the feeling within the group at the moment as you head into the next one. Yeah, confidence is building. I think you you know you hit the nail on the head. We must have saved our best performance of the season for the game against the Broncos. Um, confidence is, is is reasonably high, but at the same time, there's a underlying, I suppose, aspiration to improve um, that we still haven't really nailed on a, an entire 80 minutes. I thought the first 40 against the Broncos is the best we've played all year, but. We really didn't put them to bed in the second half. Um, so there's a few areas for us to, still to work on. But, um, yeah, there, there's a real good feeling in, in the camp at the moment. Um, playing against the North Queensland team, as you mentioned, Toddy Payton's coaching them. They've got a few you know, former Warriors playing with them as well. Pat Hiku and um, Jermaine uh, Tanua-Brown. So 
Uh, it'll be good to catch up with old, old friends, but we, uh, we have the intention of stealing two points off them on Friday. Okay, uh, let's look at uh, some of the areas of your selection going forward. Um, and uh, in terms of the spine area, uh, Johnson, Chanel, uh, Tavita Harris, Reese Walsh, uh, uh, we, we class them as the spine looking at, at the side, and you've decided to, to stay with them. Is that your settled combination? Still experimenting. Yeah, no, I think it's our settled combination. I mean, obviously, we've got Cody there as well. Um, you know, so he, he sort of came off the bench last week and played a little bit of hooker, and we've played at international level um, you know, in that position. So he's likely to sort of fill that role you know, on a more permanent basis as, as time rolls on. Um, and it's so important, like in you know, whatever sport you play or um, coach, that you get continuity with team selection, especially in key positions. You know, we've had a bit of a mix and match at the first few weeks because of injury and you know, a couple of guys suspended early on in the year. So, um, you know, settling on with Sean at, you know, at half and with Chanel, um, they're starting to build up a nice conversation. Reese at the back is starting to find his feet condition-wise. I thought he had a really strong game. Um, against the Tigers defensively, and then the weekend just gone and played really strong in offence and, and did, his, did his job defence as well. So, you know, we'd expect that combination to continue to grow. Um, you throw in uh, Wade Egan at, at hooker, um, again, gives some continuity around our key playmakers, um, and then they can build on their performances. So um, it's not to say that that's going to be locked in for the whole season, but I would imagine that you know, that's what our preferred combination is at the moment, and we're not looking to make, you know, wholesale changes where possible. But um, you know, you, you you also need to consider, you know, who, who matches up with those guys. You know, we've had you and Aiken playing in the back row now for, you know, just on about half a season or more. And he's really settled in, you know, on that left-hand side. That other right-hand side back row, we've brought Bailey Sirenin back in this week because of a couple of uh, suspensions um, and injuries. You know, Josh Curran moves back to the middle at 13 and then uh, Bailey moves to the, to the right edge. So... If we can start to settle those combinations on the edges and the spine, that's only going to help us with our consistent performance. Looks like uh, Bundy Afoa comes in to replace Adam Fanua Blake. What, what's the extent of Adam's injury? Yeah, it's um, it's a tough one for Adam. Um, you know, a few people ask why we named him at number twenty or number twenty-four in the squad. Well, of our middles that are available, he's the one that's most likely to make some kind of recovery. You know, Torhu Harris is not going to be able to play. Ben Murdoch Masilla is not going to be able to play. Jazz Devanga not going to be able to play. You know, and then the other guys on the fringe like Jackson Fry and Tim Tom Ali, they're not available for selection. So um, we've had to name him in the twenty-four because you have to name twenty-four players. Um, He's most probably a 50-50 chance at this stage. Um, picked up a bit of a, you know, a, a knock um, against the Broncos. Wasn't able to finish the game. He's made some really good recovery at the front half of the week. We weren't expecting him to play, but he's made some really good recovery at the front half of the week. He's most probably a 50-50 proposition, um, and we'll give him all the way up until captain's run, um, you know, to to you know, to prove his fitness because of his experience and the quality of player he is. But you know, as a group, we're preparing for him not to play, and if he plays, it's a nice little bonus for us. So. It's just the way that the, 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 the rules are. You have to name um, players in the 24 if they're a chance of playing um, because you can't change them without special exemption from the NRL. So he's in doubt, no doubt about that. We're just trying to be as transparent as we possibly can for, for everybody to know that um, you know, if he plays, it, it'll be a bit touch and go. Reese Walsh, uh, you mentioned him before uh, with his performance last week and, uh, of course, he's key to anything that, that you guys do in this current season. Uh, and his matchup this week with uh, Scott Drinkwater will be interesting one to look at. Yeah, um, you know, Reese is a you know he's a great, terrific little kid, and he's still learning his trade. He arguably plays in you know one of the most physically demanding positions in in, the, in rugby league these days. Um, 
know, it's so important to, to organise the defensive line. I was only listening to Todd, uh, Todd Payton's comments yesterday about Scott Drinkwater coming into the side, and you now what he'll be asking for, for, from him is to organise their defensive line. And they have a, such a big role to play defensively these days. Even though they're not naturally making lots of tackles themselves, they orchestrate where the players go, where the numbers are going to be. They, they, you know, they also facilitate, you know, the receiving of the ball from from kicks with the outside wingers. So, um, it's a really important role. So, they're both very offensive based players. You know, Drinkwater, you know, arguably last year was the Cowboys, you know, most potent player. And there was a few eyebrows raised when um, Chad Townsend and, and Deard were named in the halves because, you know, they're very similar types of players. But um, you know, Scott Drinkwater is going to add another you know dimension to to their attack. Um, most probably not as quick as the Hammer, who's re- who he's replacing, but he's got great sleight of hand. He's an excellent left-sided player. Uh, he's got a nice left foot kick, which will add some balance to their to their kicking. Um, yeah, and and just touching on that, kicking is most probably a real key element for them. They've scored a lot of tries from kicks. Both did and and uh, Chad Townsend have been very pinpoint with their accuracy with their boots. So that's going to be an area that that Reese is going to have to be really on his game and making sure he's in really good positions to you know to snavel those kicks. Justin, we're, we're talking uh, earlier in the week, OECM, we're talking to uh, Jez Tavanga. And Jez, Jez said, look, hey, I, I play the game with passion, but it does land me in, in, some, in some hot spots and some trouble from time to time. He said he's copped a suspension after entering uh, an early guilty plea. Uh, for contact, uh, what, do you, what do you work on with, with a player like Jazz Tavanga? Because you don't want to coach certain aspects out of them, do you? No, that's 100% right. You know, I think what he brings to the team is aggression and you know, competitiveness. And one of the reasons we started last weekend's game with him in the starting team and not on the bench was that we wanted to a nice, solid defensive start to the game. And he tidies up a lot of stuff in and around the field. And, and we all know whether it's rugby league or rugby union, you've got those guys that, you know, that are right on the edge because of their aggression they bring to the team and their teammates love playing with them. Um, they, can, they can cause a few grey hairs for coaches at times. But, um, you know, Jazz, we, we've just sort of tried to tidy up his, um, you know, with, with his third man into the tackle situation. Yeah, he's most probably a victim of, of circumstances a little bit. You know, the, the NRL changed the wording of, of that grade of charge this year, and they really took into account the injury um, on the opposing player. Um, whereas before, you had to hit the player, you know, at the knee or below the knee. Now, if you hit anywhere in and around the knee, it, it can be considered, um, you know, a, a careless act. And and uh, I know the NRL they they proposition the the clubs for the injury reports. So um, the player, unfortunately, that that he uh, that he tackled. Um, yeah, sustained an injury is going to be out for a month. So, you know, we just thought we're not, most probably not going to get any better than a than a two-week suspension. Um, even though it was most probably on the low end of the grade three grading, we thought we might have been able to challenge the grading, but um, we decided against it. And that's disappointing for Jazz because um, I think he started the season really well. Um, you know, he worked really hard on his on his um, on his physical preparation. You know, he stripped a lot of kilos. You know, he he put on some really good muscle mass because the role that he was going to play for us required him to play big minutes and. And I think we, we've seen in the first, you know, um, part of the season that he's, he's added some great value to us. So we won't be sort of curbing his enthusiasm. Spoken to him about trying to keep his feet a little bit more when he's getting to that third man of the tackle. He lost his legs a little bit and, and uh, had no control over where his body weight was going to go. But you know, sometimes they're just, you know, circumstances that happen. And unfortunately for Jazz, um, he was on the receiving end. But, uh, you know, he'll train hard over the next couple of weeks and we'll welcome him back in a fortnight. Always uh, looking to experiment, and I think you always, every, it doesn't matter what stage of the season, you always find out uh, a thing about players and, and where they're best suited in terms of your combination. And in that category is uh, you and Aitken. Now, 
a lot of people are thinking perhaps he could have a role to play in the centres for him, but you, at the moment, second row is, is uh, probably where you guys are seeing him? Yeah, w- 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 this, the reason we've decided to put him there is that we've got some really good young outside backs and, um, you know, Billy Army and, and, and uh, Rocco Berry, um, high-quality players, throw in Ed Cossey. Um, we brought in Jesse Arthurs on a long loan and he's still at the front half of his career as well, but you know, we've got high hopes for, for, for Rocco and Billy um, and we feel as though the best progression for them is, is you know, playing some NRL when they're in good form, but they might need to go back and play some reserve grade. The, the area of our, our, our team where we most probably are a little bit light on is the back row. And because of the rotation and the only eight interchanges where you use both front rowers, there's a good chance your lock gets interchanged. So there's six already gone. And if you interchange your, um, interchange your hooker back and forth, there's eight changes already gone. So we need back rowers that can play big minutes. Um, and Ewan is an extremely fit uh, rugby league player. He's seasoned. You know, he's played the game for, you know, I think, um, you know, almost ten years now. So, you know, he's got a lot of training age behind him. So, um, and his his quality in defence is so good. You know, he sticks his tackles. Um, he doesn't always, um, you know, have the the shininess that some other back rowers have. You know, um, you know, I'm thinking guys like you know Kickout from Penrith and, you know, um, Luciano from the Tigers. You know, big robust type of back rowers. But you know, he's a worker for us, Ewan. Um, there might be some stages this year, if, if um, you know, if, if need be, that we might put him in, into the centres, and because we've got Bailey Sirenan coming back now, who's a who's a back rower, Eli Katoa, um, who's been given some some time away from the game this week because he's unfortunately um, had some <clears throat> um, family things that he needs to deal with. Um, so, but we're pretty locked in with you and staying there. We feel that he adds value to our group. He's a nice, solid defender, um, and he can play big minutes. But. Um, yeah, never say never. Yeah, he keep, he keeps coming to tap on my door. So, mate, should I should I train with the forwards or the backs? They keep saying, mate, you're a former centre. Now you're a back rower. He goes, no, no, no. I'm still a back. I'm still a centre. I'm just playing in the back row for the time being. I said, mate, if that's what you need to go to sleep with every night, you just tell yourself that. No problem. But we're going to put number twelve or eleven on your back most weekends. Good on you, man. Good on you. Stay firm. Uh, hey, look, I look at um, this uh, North Queensland side. A number of dangers there. Uh, including the likes of uh, Valentine Holmes and Jason Tomalolo. So where uh, are they the individual dangers for you? Or, or you mentioned the kicking game before and how dangerous they are there. What do you look at when you prepare against the North Queensland Cowboys uh, strategically? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Smithy. Two high-quality players. Val sort of found a home in that left-centre position for, for the Cowboys. And, and there was some debate earlier in the week, you know, with the hammer missing that he might get pushed to fullback. But uh, I think Toddy's made the right decision. He's playing really good footy in that left centre. So, yeah, we spent a lot of time on trying to defend him and, and, and limit the amount of time that he gets with the ball. He's got a very potent left foot step. Um, you know, and Jason Tomalolo, he looks a lot nice and lean this year. You know, he's, he's slowly increasing his minutes as the, as the season rolls on. So, you know, with players like that, you know, with Val, it's it's important to sort of take away the the time that he that he gets to you know try and stand up his opposition. You know, if we can we can be aggressive with our line and work really hard from the inside. I thought we did a really good job on on the two centres from the Broncos last week, who who equally as dangerous um, as, as players, and and our line speed was very very good. Um, Jason Tomalolo, we need to make sure he does a lot of work in the middle. You know, defensively. Um, you know, it's not to say that he's not a good defender. He's a good defender, but if we can take some juice out of his legs for his attack. Um, that'll certainly help us. And yeah, like I said before, um, the, the kicking game will be key. But I think the, the, the thing that I've been impressed with the, with the Cowboys is their completion rate's been really high. I think a couple of weeks ago, they kicked the ball something like 28 times. And that's a lot in a game of rugby league. You know, normally, you know, teams are kicking the ball between 18 and you know, 21 times, and that's excessive. So 
that tells me that their completion rates are really, really good. Um, and they put you under pressure, you know, because they roll down the field and they're finally getting good field position. They they kick those balls nice and high and they compete for those and they've scored a lot of tries in that regard. So uh, three areas that are real key for us, you know, looking after Tom Malolo, making sure that, you know, Val Holmes doesn't doesn't get as much time with the ball out on that left edge and then we're covering from the inside because he's got a very potent left foot step. Um, and if we can do that and keep make sure our completion rate's reasonably high, keep 50-50 of the ball, um, we'll be in with a really good shout. So uh, it's been a solid week for us. We've only had one really big training session. That was yesterday. It was lots mm-hmm. of energy. Uh, we defended really well. So, um, yeah, we'll be going into the game nice and confident. But at the same time, um, a couple of words we spoke about early in the week and making sure we're nef- definitely not complacent. You know, we, we're certainly not a team that wants to be happy with winning two in a row. Uh, we need to make sure that w- while, we're, while we're improving and, and playing reasonably well, we need to keep driving hard. So, and I've seen some good signs from the players this week. Sounds good, mate. Uh, thanks very much for your time this morning. That game is uh, 8 o'clock Friday night our time. Uh, look forward to the Warriors and the North Queensland Cowboys. Justin Morgan, uh, always great to ch- catch up with you, mate. Thanks so much. Yeah, good man, Smithy. Have a great day, mate. Talk soon. Yeah, yeah cheers. Uh, Justin Morgan, the assistant coach of the New Zealand Warriors. Um, and they sound as if they've got uh, things going along pretty nicely, but uh, would be lovely, wouldn't it, to win uh, three in a row. 11-18 here on SENZ. Your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. That's right, it is time to go around the world here on SCNZ Mornings with Ian Smith, brought to you by our awesome friends at Polaris. Smithy, the first one I got for you is a bit of uh, Major League Baseball, bringing in some technology here. Now, there's been a lot of scandal uh, in recent years with sign stealing. The, the big one, of course, was the 2017 uh, World Series with the champions, the Houston Astros. Uh, we're caught stealing uh, in an interesting way through the use of their TV monitor setup, and they were using like garbage bins and hitting them to, yeah, steal signs. So, real dodgy practice. So, what they're doing is uh, pitchers and catchers have been given this option of using a new tested signaling signaling device that will be on their gloves. And basically what it is is that the catcher he hits like a series of buttons uh, to dictate the pitch that he wants and where it will be pitched. And it goes directly into the pitcher's listening device in his ear. Up to three teammates of the pitcher and catcher can also have access to those signals to aid the fielders in their positioning. Uh, Baseball is usually pretty slow uh, with adapting changes with all the traditions and whatnot, but this pitch comm system sounds like it is going down a treat. So hopefully, Smithy, uh, let's let's get rid of the anti uh, some sign stealing and make the game a bit more fairer. What do you think? Well, it, it's news to me. Um, one of the craziest things I've ever heard, actually. I always thought one of the great deceptions about baseball was the relaying of information between catcher and pitcher, and everyone being on, being on the same wavelength. It's been done the same way since the year dot, and all of a sudden they're going to bring technology into it. Interesting. Uh, what what will happen when they find a way to jam the technology <laughs> and throw the opposite? So the batting team throws the opposite signs by joining the jamming the technology. Yeah. What will happen then? Yeah, Bra- no, that's Bra- a very Bra- good disaster. Point. 
Yeah, that is a very good anyway. point. Uh, but pitchers and catchers do still have the option of going with the more traditional method of uh, flashing their fingers uh, in their little coded sequences that they do if they want to. Uh, moving on, though, NBA. LeBron James uh, set to miss another game due to his ankle injury. He's ruled out of today's game against the Phoenix Suns uh, with that left ankle soreness. It'll be his third game missed out of the Lakers' past four. They are on a six-game losing streak, two games behind the San Antonio Spurs Spurs for that final spot in the Western Conference play-in tournament. They can be eliminated from that tournament contention with a loss to the Phoenix Suns, uh, coupled with the Spurs' road win against the Denver Nuggets. And San Antonio, on that hand, could be without DeJounte Murray and Jakob Hurdle in their matchup against those Nuggets. So plenty of motivation there. And even if the Lakers win their final four games, the Spurs only need to finish one and three over their final four for the Lakers to be knocked out. So not looking too good for LeBron's lads there, Smithy. No, well, who would ever have thought you'd been comparing the Los Angeles Lakers in their season performance with the San Antonio Spurs? I mean, that is just... Crazy stuff. You look at the budget of the Lakers, the big names of the Lakers, uh, you know, Westbrook uh, is, is an unbelievable failure at the Lakers. You've got LeBron who seems to come and go away. I mean, that franchise just is in a mess for one of the, the all-time uh, franchises in um, NBA basketball, to be honest. They wouldn't have a boltus chance today against the Phoenix Suns without uh, LeBron James, I wouldn't think. I'm not sure what the market says about that, but now that he's pulled out, you'd just be all over the Phoenix Suns in that regard. So... They are an absolute, uh, complete and utter mess and a schmozzle, and I'm not quite sure if there is a basketball team in the world which would sit comfortably with Russell Westbrook driving it because you might as well only have Russell Westbrook on the court. Uh, let's, here's another opportunity for uh, you people to be involved, our listeners to be involved. Uh, Darzone, we're counting down to the best pound-for-pound pound fighters as voted by you. Okay, So head to SENZ Instagram to vote, all thanks to Darzone. And it's a boxing blockbuster weekend this weekend on zone Triple G versus Ryota Murata. That's on uh, Saturday. And, and then Ryan Garcia and Emmanuel Tago on Sunday. You get two fights for just $2.99. So download Darzone. It's D-A-Z-O-N-E. So Darzone from the App Store or watch on D-A-N-Z-N.com. DAZN.com does own for the big fights at a great price on any device. Simple as that. So uh, I was interested to hear too, just before we head into uh, the news with uh, Anaha, uh, the boys are uh, doing that promo about um, the menu, uh, the menu that they were talking about. Uh, Staffy and Sam uh, talking about what you can get at uh, this year and you can't get at uh, Augusta. They're taking the ice cream sandwich out. But this is what the, the tradition they have there, of course. The previous year's winner gets to choose the menu for the champion's dinner the following year. Uh, of course, uh, Sadiki Matsuyama won it last year, the Japanese player, and uh, that set uh, Japan alight. Uh, and incidentally, there's uh, an, an outside chance he might be playing in this one. They interviewed him before. Um, uh, on the basis, he's got a bit of an injury, so hopefully he can tee it up on Thursday morning American time. Uh, but last year, uh, this year's dishes will include... Um, assorted sushi, sashimi and nigiri, as well as yakitori chicken skewers for appetizers. The main dish will be uh, miso glazed black cod with dashi broth, A5 wagyu beef ribeye with mixed mushrooms and vegetables, and sancho daikon ponzu for dessert. Matsuyama picked Japanese strawberry shortcake, uh, which uh, the menu describes as a fluffy sponge cake with whipped cream, 
in Amo'u strawberries. My God, uh, this has been a tradition going back to 1952. I'm hungry just thinking about it. Uh, and I'm also hungry for some success against you people when it comes to stumping Smithy. So 0800 150 811 is the phone number. 0800 150 811. Get on the blower right now and uh, get in line to win 50 bucks worth of vouchers from the TAB. Uh, and of course, some sleep drops if you are successful the whole way through. It is coming up to 11.30, which means it's time for Aroha and the news. Match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Straight after the 11.30 news, it is, of course, time for Stumped on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Up for grabs today is $50 TAB bonus beer plus some sleep drops daytime revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. Been talking a lot of golf today here on uh, SCNZ and heading up on the Temper Beer Post text machine about Tiger Woods. Little spoiler, it is one of the topics today, so if you've been listening all day uh, on our show, mate, you might be in for a treat. Joining us at the crease, though, is Jamie from Nelson. Come in, mate. G'day, mate. How are you? Good. Hey, uh, just quickly, Jay, is this the same Jamie from Nelson that won our Ross Taylor uh, giveaway on Friday? Yeah, mate. <laughs> oh, how good. Slept on, uh, I've slept on a nice little uh, six big multi that uh, is looking to return 280 bucks. So I've uh, got my fingers crossed there. Wow. Wow. Okay, mate. We'll see how you go. For any new listeners, this is how the game works. Uh, three sporting categories to choose from today. Answer all three questions correctly there, and you win big. But if you get a question wrong, then it's over to Smithy for a chance to knock your bales off. I know he's got his gloves ready and waiting. Get out within the first two questions and it's on to the next caller in line. Get dismissed on the final question and we jackpot tomorrow. Now, Jamie, your topics for today are the Masters, Rugby League and Cricket. Take your pick. Oh, jeepers. I better stay clear of cricket. Um, uh, I'll go league. All right. Yeah, I could almost see the fear in your eyes when you said that <laughs> about cricket. Good choice, good choice. Okay, rugby league for you, Jamie. The Daly M Awards. How many times has Jonathan Thurston won the Daly M Medal? Okay, four. Oh, my buttons are not working, but yes, that is correct. Oh, oh my. Uh, Smithy, fix your balance. Fix, the, fix your balance. Yeah, fix your balance. You got to have. You've got to have. Uh, you got to have Richie Beno and Tony Gregg and, and Michael Holding. So there you go. So uh, you better get those buttons fixed up, mate. Yeah, congratulations. It's only one though. <laughs> yeah, no, got a bit of a technical malfunction there, but we will press along. At least the music is going. Question number two for you, Jamie. Name the three clubs that have had the most Dally M medal winners, and I will give you a hint. They are all current teams. Um, Melbourne Storm would be one. Yep. Um, Canberra and Brisbane. Uh, unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. You have one. I will give you one. Smithy, over to you. Okay, uh, so you, the, the one that you gave, uh, Melbourne Storm, uh, is correct, yeah, I would think. So, um, I'm also going to say because of Thurston, the Cowboys, um, and I'm also going to say Manly. 
Smithy, you're so close. I loved your train of thought there. Yes, the Cowboys. Yes, the Storm. The third was actually, uh, believe it or not, the Parramatta Eels. So that, yeah. So that probably goes back to the days of uh, Sterling. Last question for you, Jamie. Still alive. Still fifty dollars TAB bonus bet up for grabs and the sleep drops. Daytime revive. Who won the very first Dallium medal? Well, Billy Messenger, um, hang on. I'll go Jelly Messenger, soon it's named after him. Uh, nope, nope, Smithy, over to you. It is not It is not the man that the medal is actually named after. I'll go Artie Beatson. Oh, Arthur Beatson. Very, very good choice, Smithy, but it was actually St. George legend Steve Morris back in 1979. Okay, Steve Morris. Fair enough. Okay. So I've lost. I've lost, and, and, and Jamie wins out of doing nothing. That's amazing. What amazing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty, uh, good. pretty, pretty, uh, one and one third out of three, you bet. <laughs> yeah, just. Oh, just. mate. You're on a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a roll there with us, uh, Jamie. But hey, congratulations. Stay on the line, and uh, Brian will get your details again, and we'll uh, get that $50 TAB bonus bet to you shortly. Cheers, Lutz. Thank you. Yeah, cheers, cheers, Jamie. At least we didn't have to squabble over ice hockey, which makes my day any, any day of the week, so fair enough. Uh, it's 11.36 here on SENZ. Uh, when we come back, a uh, number of texts here. Not so much on Tiger Woods, but a lot of you with a concern about uh, the Women's Rugby World Cup. I think there's um, really, uh, I don't think there was a, a lot of uh, people that aware of the fact that it wasn't going around the country, judging by a reaction. More on that shortly. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.41 and uh, your text very shortly, but uh, grab hold of this opportunity by all means because it sounds like an absolute beauty. If I win Lotto tonight, I'll be making a call myself tomorrow morning and I'll be making it to the good people at Bailey's because their property of the week is a unique coastal paradise set in stunning Hawke's Bay and brought to the market by Andy Hunter and Andy Lee, the two Andys of Bailey's in Waipukarao. Well, with your very own private beach and a grandstand views east o- over the Pacific Ocean, it's just a fantastic aspect. Uh, Waimoana, consisting of 492 hectares, can be found at 414 Tiapiti Road in Ellsthorpe and is one not to be missed, surely. Not to be missed. Uh, so get hold of the two Andes at uh, Bailey's Waipukuru. Uh Having recently undergone a full renovation, the main home boasts three bedrooms plus office, two bathrooms, farmhouse-style kitchen and open-plan living attached to a generous deck overlooking the manicured gardens and just set back from the water's edge. Secondary home with three bedrooms and a new kitchen is positioned near the farm infrastructure, ideal for a worker's accommodation. And a third home, yeah, third home has been recently positioned on the farm and is currently undergoing refurbishment to make the perfect holiday getaway. There's a three-stand wool shed, ship, uh, sheep yards and uh, improved cattle yards have been uh, utilised to support the sheep and beef breeding property. It's renowned for ideal growing conditions due to its positioning on the Totara range, which captures higher than average rainfall of uh, 1,600 millimetres. So don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to launch your private boat too off a private sandy cove 
and catch seafood in all view of the main home. Can you believe that? In all in view of the main home. Uh, tenders close 12pm on the 28th of April unless it's sold prior. 28th of April, 12pm for those tenders unless uh, it's sold prior to that. So visit www.baileys.co.nz for more information or phone those two Andys, Andy Hunter and Andy Lee, Baileys Waipukarol. Uh, sounds like a marvellous uh, opportunity going forward. Uh, 11.44 here on SENZ. Yes, and earlier we talked to uh, Michelle Hooper, of course, who is uh, the uh, CEO of the organising committee for the Women's Rugby World Cup. And, and one of the things that we talked about is just where it's being held, and it's held, being held in Whangarei in Auckland. It's not going around the country. So uh, here's a selection of the texts that have come in as a result of that. Uh, it's short-sighted not to hold the Women's World Rugby Games, not being in Dunedin in particular, says Jeff, Jeff the Ref. It would be cost-effective for families, not to mention the Scarfies. Spectators are more vocal and passionate in the South. It's about growing the sport New Zealand-wide. Uh, that's very disappointing, says Brendan, about uh, the Rugby World Cup. Only two venues. I was planning to take my daughter to a game and expecting people to fly up from all around the country to watch. Uh, how many people flew around the country to watch a World Cup cricket game? Um, I wouldn't think too many. Uh, too many, particularly when New Zealand got knocked out and weren't part of the finals, although the finals uh, were very well populated, Brendan, but I, I get where you're coming from. Uh, just call it the Women's Rugby World Cup being played in Auckland, not New Zealand, uh, says uh, one texter here. Um, another one comes in and says, I am gutted. I really thought the Women's Rugby World Cup would be everywhere in New Zealand. I live in Dunedin. I was hoping to take my kids along. People will not buy into a tournament if only in two cities. Uh, and Carl says, I hope the tournament goes well, but only playing games in Auckland uh, and uh, Whangarei is a bit stupid. Not a great way to get fans from South Island to the game. So... <clears throat> Uh, an interesting concept, that. Uh, and I'm um, not quite sure I've got my head around it just yet either. Um, it is, um, it's very interesting indeed, I, I have to say, to, to think that that, that is the case. Uh, <laughs> is, uh, Davis come in and said, uh, gee, Smithy, how much is Lotto? I think it's $6 million. Talking about me borrowing the property. That doesn't not sound cheap, that property. That's a few... Uh, proverbials at Turks, yeah, um, it would be if I was drinking them, but I'm not. Uh, so, uh, yeah, honestly, what, what do you think, uh, Logan? What do you think the reaction's going to be when, I imagine a lot of people knew that, a lot of people knew that, and I think under COVID, when we were under COVID uh, restrictions, I think people would have kind of assumed that there'd be limitations on any World Cup in this country, but now they're being lifted. Six months out, I, I would imagine it's way too late to do anything about the venues and changing of the venues. But the, I think there will be some disappointed people and it may well affect some of the crowd sizes. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Smithy. We've heard a lot of it from uh, the text that you just read out there that people are disappointed. And I mean, if it's a Rugby World Cup in New Zealand, uh, but we're only getting games in Auckland and Whangarei, like, why aren't we getting games in you know other places around the country? And this is the big year of women's sport and it is time for women's rugby in New Zealand to cash in. On that, uh, I mean, you've got a team. You've got the Mata too. Why? Why is there not any games in the South Island? I just don't quite understand that personally, and I completely share the listeners' uh, frustration and confusion. Oh, I just wonder what effect they will have on the crowds. I, I love the concept of the biggest crowd uh, ever watching um, and a sellout. Uh, I think sellouts are high, a high aspiration when it comes to uh, selling Eden Park out for to, for many things these days, but. Uh, I think the novelty of it, the, the fact that it's a, a big game, I think will bring players, uh, bring the best players here, of course, but it'll bring 
the best uh, out of spectators as well, and, and families will look to get involved. Uh, I think uh, young young girls, are, uh, in particular, come along with their with their mums and dads, uh, looking at their heroes and, and and dreaming of what might be. So there's a lot of that involved in World Cups. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I, I also I like the the triple header um, scheme. I, I think you know three games are certainly value for money. Certainly value for money, and I, I think that's a a hell of a way to spend an afternoon. I do wonder though, uh, if you get a rainy day, say you get a rainy day on one venue, what the what are the ground conditions going to be like come game three, second half of game three? Um, you know, because normally you only have it playing one game per ground. That ground has a chance to recover <coughs> after each round robin game or the triple header. It's got uh, the best part of five days or six days to recover, so that's not an issue. But and grounds do recover a lot quickly than they used to. So there's those sorts of elements. If you 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 get an absolute crappy day at one venue uh, when the games are spread around, uh, it doesn't mean to say it's governed by weather at another venue. If you get a crappy day at one venue, it's a crappy day all day. So I, and then I think there are there are some dangers within the setup. Um, but as Michelle said, it's a it's a, it's a pretty easy one to sort of organise when the, the venues are only all the venues are only what two hours apart. Yeah, and from a logistic point of view, I mean, that is really smart. I mean, you know, God willing that we don't have COVID cases and everything, um, perhaps that is also part of it, that if that did happen and that is something that they need to consider, that it's probably a lot easier to create that bubble situation for them if they're all in the same, you know, you don't have to fly anywhere, really. You could just uh, jump on a bus and go where you like. But, uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I just this is going to be awesome. Like I love the Black Ferns. I want to see them play. It, it would be amazing to see them uh, at Eden Park. But I just yeah, I feel like New Zealand rugby really, really need to cash in on on this. And I mean, it is the perfect moment. I remember scenes of you know when New Zealand did the first uh, ga- Super Rugby game after you know the first after the first lockdown, and it was packed out. Amazing scenes. We were the envy of the rest of the sporting world. I would love to see scenes like that again, and that is probably exactly what New Zealand rugby are hoping for. I think they'll get good crowds. I think they will get good crowds um, because of of the way they've structured it. I I I don't um, have a problem with um, the triple headers. I think they're a great concept, as I said. And there's a lot of reasons to go because the standard of rugby will be outstanding as well. We're actually underdogs going into this tournament. We're not favourites, by the by. Oh, I just saw France play Ireland the other day. They were amazing. Um, England, they would be amazing as well. Uh, and, and now that Wayne Smith has come into the fold, uh, the, there's no doubt about it, uh, the Black Ferns will be certainly better for that. Uh, he'll look at details. He'll study the opposition. He'll look at ways to overcome the fact that we might get out-muscled from time to time and he'll come up with... Uh, plans to, to, to play around that. But what I, I do um, tend to think is that, um, you know, uh, it, might not, it might not get the take from uh, other parts of the country, um, perhaps. So I, I'd love to see it in Wellington. I'd love to see it another hour down the road in, uh, in Waikato, uh, you know, at, at the stadium there in, in Mighty Waikato Stadium, which you wouldn't think logistically it would take too much to organise. I mean, the teams could basically still be based in Auckland, <coughs> yet play in Hamilton. Uh, I guess they're thinking that, well, Hamilton people want to come. They'll come, they'll drive north and, instead of the teams having to drive south. It's only about an hour and ten minutes these days uh, from Auckland to Hamilton to get to Eden Park. So, uh, look, I, I guess they've weighed it all up in that decision. But uh, when they first mooted this whole thing, we were right in the middle of COVID, weren't we? They were thinking COVID and 
uh, and it would be just so much easier rather than having to have bubbles all around the joint than to just have it very closely knit. So whether um, there will be more reaction to that, I think, as people become more aware to, of it. Uh, but to me, um, uh, my initial reaction is uh, I think New Zealand will be a little disappointed that a lot of them have, uh, have not going to have it on their doorstep and will have to go a long, long way to actually watch it in person. It's 11.52 here on SEN Staffy before midday. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.